Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that this episode contains a plethora of curse words. I was thinking about cutting them out, but realized that would have added a few extra hours of editing on my part. Plus, I'd be cutting up one of my favorite movies. So if you have kids around or just aren't into that kind of thing, it's probably best to skip this one. And for that, I hope you enjoy this episode of The Time for Indie Games is Now. At the moment, I currently have 129 games on my Steam wish list. 129. I started wondering why I haven't bought them yet. Am I broke? Well, (laughs) I'm always broke. Do I not really know what the game is about? Do I lack the information to make an informed buying decision? Do I already have enough games that I haven't played through yet and feel like adding another one to the list drives me further into the rabbit hole of endless gaming backlog? Coupled with all of these questions, do I feel like the price isn't worth the purchase and I'm just waiting for a sale? The last thing you want is to use your time to create something and just have it sit waiting for people to buy it. I've noticed that there are different kinds of buyers when it comes to video games. And being an indie developer, these characters become even harder to appease if you're not some EA or Bungie. So many characters that you are pining to purchase your game that it reminded me of one of my favorite movies. Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on coming with this little ditty that reached up to 21 in May of 1970. The George Baker selection, Little Green Bag. The community of gamers is a diverse bunch and pricing plays a huge part into a buying decision. But price points mean different things to different types of people. These types of people can be condensed down into the members known as the Reservoir Dogs. Hear your names. It's the brown. It's the white. It's the blonde. It's the blue. It's the orange. It's the pink. The question becomes, which of the Reservoir Dogs do you target when pricing your indie game? Do you go for the whole bunch or just a select few? Knowing your audience is always the best practice when marketing your game. So let's meet your audience. Mr. Brown. That was the Partridge Family's Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, followed by Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, as K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s weekend just keeps on trucking. At the start of the movie, Mr. Brown tells a colorful story about the true meaning behind Madonna's popular song, Like a Virgin. And then he dies. And dead people can't buy games. Or can they? Our Mr. Brown is known to have a top 10 games list that he meticulously adjusts over the years. But the top three are always the same. He's played these games 
thousands of times, knows them in and out, has checked every resource available on the internet, has read fan fiction, theories, deleted content that still hides in the code. He has stories for days about how his personal experience playing those games, others he's told about playing the games, the list goes on and on. Now tell me a story, kid. What are your plans? Mr. Brown is one of the hardest critics to please. There's a bar in his mind about how good a game should be, and it's extremely high. He's always comparing one game to his top 10. He says things like, it's okay, but it's not as good as, insert top 10 game of everything here. He buys games, but he is extremely suspicious. If he has any doubts while reading a review, the overall score or something in the trailer, it is sit on his wish list until a sale comes around. And if it's priced low enough to justify buying it, he'll buy it. But it'll only have criticism for not living up to its AAA counterpart. Mr. Blue. Makes it like early stuff. Borderline. Once you get out into that poppy don't preach phase, I tuned out. The old timer. Remembering the glory days of the smoke-filled arcade, ports of games to home consoles that didn't even have the power to reproduce the experience, waiting in lines to play the hottest new releases for only a quarter. Mr. Blue likes the classics. Asteroids, Galaga, maybe even Mortal Kombat. He tries to steer clear from whatever controversy is milling about on the internet and just comforts himself with the physical cartridges he's been collecting since he was a little one. To him, these are guaranteed fun. Nothing too experimental and knows exactly what he's getting into. Now, he'll occasionally glance at the popular gaming sites, breezing over the news headlines looking for something that may interest him. He'll take notes of those and he'll come back later when the release date is closer. He's all about remasters and remakes of classic games he remembers fondly. He doesn't mind the free-to-play model. Hell, that was the only way to do it back in his day. Microtransaction after microtransaction. Quarter after quarter. Token after token. And it didn't bother him. This was just the way things were. And now that they seem to be bubbling up to the surface again, he doesn't get why everybody is so up in arms about it. But he keeps to himself, briefly making a comment or two on social media or forums. If he finds something he likes, he'll buy it. On sale or not on sale. He feels like he's getting a deal when purchasing games at a discount from a bundle, but... He'll only play a few of the ones that promoted his purchase. Gaming is a simple pastime to Mr. Blue. He takes little effort to find new games and just lets them come to him. Mr. White. Hey, that kid in there is dying from a fucking bullet I saw him take, so don't you be calling him a rat! Mr. White comes in as our prized fanboy. He's brutally honest and respects the convention of indie development. He sticks to his guns. He finds a developer or a franchise, console brand, maybe even a publisher, and he fights for them. 
Anything that comes out under one of these groups, he jumps on it like a kid in a candy store. He supported these developers that casted the anti-sale to help promote proper pricing for indie games. He was for paying for mods through Steam because he believed that creators and artists deserve to be paid for their hard work. He is dedicated. Not to the grand scheme of indie games in general, but to whomever he's hitched his wagon to. He starts and ends. Who's the better developer, Nintendo or Sega? He doesn't listen to reason when others present facts showing the mishaps with his favorite franchise. He has no problems with day one patches. Console updates? Well, yeah, it needs to be top notch. Mr. White typically only purchases PC games that were initially released on a console. He's devoted. He's your number one fan. You can do no wrong. He is your bread and butter. But if you cross him, then the mistake is extremely grave. Rise from your grave. One backward slap across the eyes, and he starts to rethink all of the time, effort, and money that he's given to you over the past years. It builds in him. Everything he thought was right is now wrong, and he blames you. Don't believe me? Take a look at Konami these past few years. The downpour and corner cuts with the leaving of Kojima. Or did he leave? Wasn't he just on vacation? If you pull those Konami fans now from two years ago, the story shifts dramatically to the opposite side. This is a perfect example of what not to do. Because Mr. White will let you know of every imperfection, every flaw that they once glanced over. Welcome to your doom. Mr. Pink. Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty were a duo known as Steeler's Wheel when they recorded this Dylan-esque pop bubblegum favorite from April of 1974. That reached up to number five as K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s continues. There's one in every family. That crazed uncle that sits in the corner with his tinfoil hat, spouting rumors about alien abductions, lizard people, and the ones they serve. This is your Mr. Pink. He's absolutely critical of everything. Alpha builds and early access makes him cringe with despair, praying that this isn't the final product. Games that get delayed are subject to dismissal, even if the developer states that it's due to ultimately making the game better. Our Mr. Pink isn't buying it. He'll search over every piece of detail. The inflection in a person's voice when discovering roadblocks of game development. What clothes they were wearing. He tells himself that he's just collecting facts, but in reality, he's waiting for something to come true just so he can say, I told you so. Mr. Pink favors free-to-play and demos. He wants to know exactly what he's getting into before handing over his hard-earned cash. $60 is a lot of money, especially when it comes from a developer he's not particularly familiar with. Pre-ordering? Uh, maybe. 
What's the free stuff that comes with it? This gets Mr. Pink's attention. But is the juice really worth the squeeze? He has no problem taking advantage of steam sales, hundle bundles, or pay-what-you-want pricing models. He was overjoyed when Steam released the opportunity to receive refunds for purchases. This gave him the power over his own money. Mr. Pink is a tough character. He'll be the first to slam to the forums over a blog post you may have written if the piece is out of place. He'll ram you with questions, possibly coming off like a troll, but in reality, he's testing your strength. Jesus Christ, give me a fucking chance to breathe. I got a few questions of my own. He's seeing if you really have what it takes to pull the job off. And if you do, he'll spend his money with you and not look back. You will be the one he brings up in conversations because you now live under his umbrella. Like it or not, Mr. Pink is out there and he's easy to find. Check any YouTube comment thread or NeoGAF post. There are plenty. Mr. Orange. Every nerve in me, all my senses, blood in my veins, everything I have is screaming, take it off, man. Just bail, just get the fuck out of there. Panic hits me like a bucket of water. First there's a shock of it, bam, right in the face. I'm just standing there drenched in panic and all these sheriffs looking at me and they know, man, they can smell it. Sure as that fucking dog can, they can smell it on me. In Reservoir Dogs, Mr. Orange is an interesting character. So attention spoilers. But Mr. Orange is actually an undercover cop that's been set up to bring the entire group down from the inside. Say hello to a motherfucker who's inside. Cab is doing a job and take a big fat guess who wants on a team. This better not be some kind of Freddy joke, man. This ain't no joke. I'm in there, I'm up his ass. At the start of the movie, Mr. Orange is shot in the stomach and is bleeding like a stuck pig. Throughout the entire film, the others are concerned that he won't make it through the night and debate whether or not to drop him off at a hospital. Plus, there's also that small issue of the rat being within the group. So don't you be calling him a rat! Mr. Orange is a likable guy. He has lifelong friends and makes quick work of networking and finds new friends to add to his entourage. But he's a bit wishy-washy. He swayed easily to another's camp and has no problem calling somebody out. He's just there to have fun. But if it feels like it's getting too real for him, then he's out. Our Mr. Orange is not looking for an in-depth analysis or microscope intentions. He doesn't care if the game is based on a true story or is infected with soulful meaning. He just wants to have fun. If someone tells him something is fun, well, that's more than enough motivation to make a judgment call. The easier you make it on him to make that buying decision, the better. Sure, sales are nice, but if someone speaks into his ear and tells him it's a must-buy, then he'll buy it. It's the same with the opposite as well. If he hears one bad thing, he'll stay away forever. The pay-what-you-will model is perfect for our Mr. Orange. Alright, everybody cough up some green for the little lady. He'll download the game free of charge, but if he's had a positive experience, he'll be happy to send you a couple of bucks. He feels like it's better to give the money to a developer straight out, rather than wading through the cuts of some virtual distribution sites take. But he's still tied to Steam. He uses that platform to give his review, buy the game for friends as gifts, and send links to others who may also enjoy the game. There's little under the surface with our Mr. Orange. He'll tell you exactly what he thinks and hopes you don't take his criticism as being mean. He has full intentions of making the best experience for himself and for you. 
Just be sure he gets the right bug in his ear. You wouldn't want Mr. Orange taking advice from a Mr. Pink. You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. Just convince me. Give me my dollar back. Hey! Leave the dollars there. And finally, Mr. Blonde. <clears throat> are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't catch it. Would you repeat it? Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs has an intriguing character development arc. At the beginning of the movie, Mr. Blonde kind of comes off as a cowboy, shoot first and ask questions later. Then while in the warehouse, Mr. White and Mr. Pink blame him for the bank job going south, calling him a psychopath. At this point in the movie, we really don't even know who this character really is. It's not until Mr. Blonde shows up with a cop in the trunk of his car that we see the relationship between him and the guy who's running the show, Joe. The flashback starts with a guy announcing that he's arrived to speak with Joe, and he calls Mr. Blonde by his real name, Vic Vega. Vic Vega's outside. Hold on. Oh, Vic Vega. Oh, tell him to come in. This early into the film, we don't know anyone's true name, just pseudonyms with the exception of Mr. White telling Mr. Orange his first name. Tarantino wants the audience to know Mr. Blonde more intimately than the other cast members. He has no problem using his real name or his connection with Joe and his son, Nice Guy Eddie. They are like a family more than anything. Growing up together, having each other's back. This is displayed when Eddie and Mr. Blonde play fight in Joe's office, with Joe calling them to quit like a father would with his two sons. Mr. Blonde has nothing to hide. He is his own man and knows exactly what to do when situations get tough. He'll make you pay for your punishments and is always thinking two steps ahead of everyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Blonde is your video game journalist. Wow, <laughs> that was really exciting. <laughs> He uses his real name and doesn't hide behind a weird online gamer tag. He knows what's coming out and what is about to happen because much like Mr. Blonde, he's got the ear of the developer. Is that as good for you as it was for me? Hey, what's going on? You hear that? <laughs> he's the one they trust. He can sway opinions, make a good game great and a bad game terrible. He's on top of the curator's list when looking for suggestions. He has the most followers and people pining for his attention. Once he's got you in his sights, it's all or nothing. He's nobody's boss and no one tells him what to do. He doesn't care who you are, where you come from. He just wants the information so that he can recite this back to his followers to tell his own story. And he's got his popularity from using these very tactics. You can't ignore Mr. Blonde, and luckily, there are many of them about that seem to vary one way or another. It's your job to decide which ones you pursue in hopes that it falls into place that will benefit both of you. But even the mighty can fall. It's revolving year after year about who's the new Mr. Blonde, keeping tabs on what community you are shooting to impress, and the Mr. Blonde that runs things will help even the smallest of projects get off the ground. But then again, 
Mr. Blonde doesn't pay for anything either. K-B-I-L-L-Y, home of rock. Of course, many people fall into multiple categories of the Reservoir Dogs, not just a single one. So as a developer, when trying to reach out to your community, you have to decide what is the best way in doing so. Some of these groups are extremely passionate and will do their best to promote you to the right people. With others, your efforts will fall on the deaf ears. Sure, you'll get a sale or two, but if your ultimate goal is to fund your next project with the limited time that you have, you need to know who your audience really is and what they're willing to pay for your game. Talk to the right people. Don't be afraid to play with different pricing structures. Give people a way to pay for your game the price you think it's worth. Give people a chance to get a deal. But don't overexert yourself. Concentrate on what makes sense. And don't waste your time chasing after a carrot that will ultimately elude you in the end. Which reservoir dog am I? Well, I'm Nice Guy Eddie. I love everything. Never stop pointing that fucking gun at my dad! I am Eric M. Hunter, and this has been The Time for Indie Games is Now. For all of the links to articles and games that I've talked about in this episode, check out my website, ericmhunter.net. And if you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe.